0: Hi, everyone. I'm Maeve Doyle. What I'd like to do is play for you the interview I did with Donald Warhola, Andy's nephew, with personal anecdotes and stories about his Uncle Andy. It was uh, at June or July of 2019. He was here for a festival on Pittsburgh at the South Bank Center. Hi, Donald, and welcome. Welcome. Tell us a little bit about what's going on at the South Bank, and then we'll get into deep other stuff too.
1: Sure, sure. So um, it's
0: great to be in London. It's great to have you here.
1: It, it's really nice. We're here. I'm here uh, to help launch uh, the Pittsburgh Art on the Bank exhibition, which is happening um, over on again on the bank. It's a multidisciplinary art exhibition. Open 24 hours. Actually, I went back last evening uh, to check out the art again. So it's, Is it it's, like
0: the Skateboard Park and the Hayward and correct. outside the South Bank and the Festival Hall? and
1: Correct. It's I used to right work at the area. Hayward. How can okay. you tell? Right, right.
0: <laughs> That's amazing. Are they doing projections? I'm, I don't believe Doesn't, they
1: are right now. I know they have a, an installation set up, an outdoor installation. How did this come about, this sort of partnership with Pittsburgh and London? So it was an opportunity to really, you know, connect with the art of Pittsburgh and to show others that, uh, London actually, that there's a lot of great artists. Obviously, we all know of Andy Warhol, but there's a lot of great art and artists in Pittsburgh. And with the opportunity to get to Pittsburgh quite quickly with the British Airways one-way flight, uh, it's, you know, it's a really great, again, opportunity to explore Pittsburgh's cultural center. And again, a lot of times Pittsburgh is known more for its steel industry or it used to be at least. But some still have that impression that Pittsburgh is just this smoky steel town, which it was. Actually, it was when my uncle Andy Warhol grew up in Pittsburgh. But it's really it's really evolved since then. Technology is really big, the arts, the arts actually have always been really big in Pittsburgh. We have a fellow, you know, a UK person, Andrew Carnegie, who really established the arts in Pittsburgh, and others followed his lead. So, it, what
0: did he do? What was his? I mean, I know Andrew Carnegie, but if you just want to, in a quick, how did he establish it? What happened? How did this come about? Sure, sure. Because St- a steel town. My parents were immigrants, and our equivalent in Canada, Irish immigrants to Canada, was Hamilton. Oh, right. And of course, I had relatives in Cleveland, which is another working-class city like a Pittsburgh. And a lot of great artists come from there as well. And I think Mel Bogner comes from Pittsburgh.
1: Hmm, Perhaps.
0: I'm not Do you live there now? Yes, I do. I actually live a little bit north of Pittsburgh.
1: But so uh, Andrew Carnegie worked the steel industry, created the steel industry, ran the steel industry in Pittsburgh. And as you mentioned, a lot of the Eastern European immigrants and other immigrants came over uh, before the turn of the century and after... Um, in the early 1900s, to work in the steel industry, and after Andrew Carnegie made his millions uh, on in the steel industry, he did give back to the community through the library system, uh, through and, and again the Carnegie, which is part, which is actually runs the Warhol Museum, the Andy Warhol Museum in Pittsburgh, is part of uh, what Andrew Carnegie created in Pittsburgh to promote culture. This great sense of philanthropy. And that is the American dream at its very best. Right. It really is. It's giving back. And actually, it's interesting because the other Andy, famous Andy from Pittsburgh, my uncle, did the same. He created after his death, he created the Andy Warhol Foundation for the Visual Arts, which is up in New York. And it's just, you know, has given so much back to the visual arts uh, around the country and in America. So that's like... You know, Again, just really huge, and uh, that's another part of my uncle's legacy that a lot of people are not aware of. Uh, But again, it's it's a big part of my uncle's legacy as well.
0: That he gives back to the community. So there's a few things I want to say about that. There probably isn't a day in my life since I first started art school that I haven't thought about your uncle. Wow. Uh, I think there's this definite art conversation, awareness, raising peace, that we do know that we're now living in a world that he imagined... All those years ago. There's Correct. other things that, as we evolve as a society, and I get very emotional when I talk about it, your uncle Andy Warhol would have been very bold and brave about. It. it wasn't easy to be openly gay in Pittsburgh. Right. It wasn't easy to be openly gay in New York. Right. Even his contemporaries, Robert Rauschenberg and Jasper John, were presenting as straight men. I mean they were gay and they did finally talk about it but Andy was flamboyantly gay. Right. And, and that couldn't have been an easy call he was also a Catholic so the conflicts were.
1: Right. Fantastic. Exactly and and it's interesting how he was able to navigate that. And again like you said his contemporaries who were also gay they actually would, you know, criticize my uncle for being too gay and them themselves not feeling comfortable enough to be open and, course, and it might
0: have hurt their career they also worried like they worried just like Lee Krasner degendering her name from Layla to Lee right they would think it's going to hurt my career if I'm openly gay, I have to at least present it straight Andy didn't just all of that was no right
1: yeah, no, he stood true to himself, and that's the way I knew my uncle too. He, you know it's more or less this is who I am. That was accept my next me question.' Or not. Yeah. So
0: you actually knew him?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. So I started to visit in New York in when I was born in 1963. So my father's John Warhola. He was the middle brother. There was three sons, and Andy was the youngest, Uncle Andy. And my father was in the middle, and then my Uncle Paul was the oldest. And there was three years that separated each of the boys and we would go up. Um, my grandmother moved up to New York in the early 50s. I want Julia. to talk more about her. Oh, yeah. she, <laughs> she's, a, she's a story in herself. She was just so loving, caring, and supportive. And she actually introduced my uncle to art. She loved art. She loved to draw. We have at the Indy Warhol Museum art that Jolia created, drawings that inspired my uncle, especially during his commercial art days in the 1950s. The shoes. Yes. The sh- well, Julia's favorite, my grandmother's favorite art were the cats and angels. So she really enjoyed drawing cats and angels for some reason. Uh, I think for the religious reasons, the angels, because the
0: whole family was very religious. And my uncle remained religious throughout his life. And that conflict is about being gay and being Catholic, which I right. think some people suggest his celibacy was about being Catholic. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you can't have sex as a gay person if you're Catholic. Catholic, correct, correct. So these, these tensions, these brilliant tensions, like being who you are and yet having a faith, it, this created this pressure that made such interesting art. And I wonder if that was his only form of expression because everything else was structured in such a way that he wasn't allowed to express it.
1: Right. Well, I, I just believe, as I knew my uncle, because again, I, I started to visit when I was a baby, and um I, I was 24 when my uncle passed away. I worked for him right before he passed away, uh, which is a neat story, if you want to hear it. I do. Okay. Okay. I'm a- so I had graduated college, and I'd gone up to visit my uncle uh, in, in August of 1986, and we were walking through his factory at the time, and I noticed that his staff. Was not computerized. Uh, they did not have any types of personal computers, and people were just getting of into they didn't. yeah. Right. I'm just
0: trying to imagine them. They probably didn't have keys for a house.
1: Right. I right, love that. Right. And and again, but I was you know I was bold enough, and, and Uncle Andy liked to be kind of you know challenged. So I said, "Gee, Uncle Andy, why, why aren't your staff computerized? You're Andy Warhol. You should really you know you should be on the leading edge." And I said I'd be happy to come up and install computers for you, which I did. So he said, Yeah, we well, you know we're looking for someone to do that and it's an entry level position. So, you know, you're gonna start kind of at the bottom and work your way up. Which again, he wanted to make it real. You know, I'm not gonna create this illusion where you're gonna work for your uncle and, you know, be some manager or director and then if something happens you go out in the real world and figure out that it doesn't work that way.
0: He truly loved you. He wanted you to be
1: prepared and have skills. Absolutely. I understood. It was a learning experience. So I did work for my uncle from August to right before Thanksgiving in November. And the plan was for me to come back up the beginning of the year after the holidays and work on a more permanent basis. I installed that. That was kind of a project of installing the computers. And um, unfortunately, he did pass away, so that never happened.
0: Oh, it was so devastating. Yeah. I think everyone remembers where they were. I certainly
1: do. Correct. I mean, it was for our family. Obviously, it was a huge shock because Uncle Andy was so healthy and so fit and so energetic, and he'd survived the shooting, right? And I, you know, again, getting to work for him, though that, that latter part of nineteen eighty six, I really got to know him even more. And, better, and you know, again, I, I knew, you know, how Uncle Andy would, you know, he ate healthy, he took care of himself, he exercised, but I got to really
0: see him in action doing that. Did he really? Because, I mean, the story is always barbiturates and starvation uh, no. and, okay, well, that's no. just a persona. I believe, again, I was
1: not there, but knowing my uncle, what I believe is that, you know, sure, if someone said, hey, Andy, you could stay up all night if you take this pill... And he felt it was safe enough, but it would keep him working all night. he would do it. but as far as you know recreational drugs i, I can't see it you know I, th- did it not happen? I don't know, but again, it just doesn't fit sort of the profile of my uncle as I knew him.
0: he was so young when he died as well he was yeah, 58.
1: 58 years old, so that was very, very sad, and again, the tragedy was that he was so healthy and energetic i mean when i worked up there he would go out um flea market to flea markets in the morning antiquing uh, with a friend or two and then maybe roll into work around lunchtime and work into the evening and if there's an event which he'd consider work as well he would go out to, to you know attend that so it made for a long day and he would do this you know five six days a week
0: and I probably am guessing that the the uh, Pittsburgh Foundation gave him that work ethic, a very blue collar work ethic, uh, ethic and an immigrant's work ethic, where you are going to build your dreams. You've left everything. I'm saying this from my own personal experience mm-hmm. with my parents, who were immigrants. Work was everything to them. They wanted that was why they were there. So, right. everything was work, and you were building a better future and I'm guessing he was infused with the same values and principles totally i I agree
1: maybe I think that was you know because again, it was the steel time blue collar steel mills never close right they're open every day all you know all day long twenty four hours seven days a week fifty two weeks a year so and he was in, in, immersed in that where he lived and where he grew up his neighborhood childhood neighborhood was right in that whole steel mill area because that's where the immigrants
0: lived. I'm guessing it influenced his art on so
1: many levels. I believe so. And I believe just those challenges that he faced as a child, being poor, working very hard. Uh, He had a childhood illness that he dealt with. His father passed away when he was 13 years old. So I always tell people, you know, my impression, my opinion is that that all built such resiliency in my uncle that allowed him to take on the art world. To say, hey, you know what? I'm going to change how we perceive art, how we see art, what we consider to be art, subject matter. And he knew he was going to face a lot of rejection, a lot of criticism for that. Um, That there was no fear left. And he'd faced everything at a young age. Exactly. Uh, That's exactly what I believe. And again, with his sexuality as well. You know, I'm going to go out and I'm going to promote individuality when it comes to sexuality and not, you know, conform. And he did that through his art. He used his art to take on a lot of causes, and that was early on. And again, it was very
0: brave oh my of him to do that. Transgendered everything. I mean, right. this is early that, influence. I mean, we're barely catching up to where he was at forty right. years ago. And
1: that's what I love about my uncle. Again, I, I believe it I believe it was rooted, you know, ironically in his religious beliefs that everyone is special, everyone is unique. And that's how I believe he really reconciled his sexuality. That, you know, God doesn't make mistakes. And there was a reason. Why I'm who I am, and that's not a bad. You know, God doesn't create bad people. He, I believe is was how he felt. So you know, and again, I never had a conversation with my uncle, but you know, I think he probably didn't believe all of Catholicism, and you know that part of it specifically. But that. he had faith,
0: absolutely, and respect for faith,
1: absolutely. You know, Mave, uh, even in 1986, just again, just. Prior to my uncle's death, when I worked up there, if I would call, I would usually either visit Uncle Andy on the weekend or check in with him, give him a phone call, and he, because he was very protective, you know. Again, it was not like, oh, go out and have a good time and and come back, uh, you know. Let me know what parties you went to. It was he the felt opposite. responsible for absolutely. It. He, yeah, he did want want to make that phone call to my father that hey, we lost Donald um, to the wild life of New York
0: City so his big brother john would (laughs) yeah he didn't want to disappoint him that's beautiful i believe so
1: yeah didn't want to disappoint him but so uncle andy would ask me you know where did you go this weekend who did you go with what did you do and it's sunday did you go to church so again who would think um you know that my uncle that that was the andy warhol but again that was uncle andy as i knew him and i tell a lot of people that you know I, i believe that you know he understood or at least believed that hey if this is the persona that I'm projecting then it's going to be kind of boring and I need to be more edgy so then he creates in my opinion this Andy Warhol persona which is the wild eccentric um, flamboyant artist so you know there's again there's a you know there's a, a give and take there as far as the
0: true Andy Warhol I'm going to take a breath but I'm And and I'm going to play David Bowie, but did you hear the story about David Bowie meeting Andy Warhol?
1: Yeah, actually, at the Warhol Museum, that's one of, uh, you know, again, one of the attractions or one of the reasons to visit the Warhol Museum in Pittsburgh. We have all the films, and there was a series of—Uncle Andy was always up on technology, so whenever he was able to do filming— and um capture who was coming into the factory he would do that and we have films that that go on that showed a uh, young young david bowie visiting the factory yes long hair and and it's great we have just a separate gallery where you could go in and you could bring up any film it's a touch um, screen i can't wait any film any of the television programs that my uncle just a five did. hour flight that's all
0: Five-hour flight Straight from flight. Heathrow? Yes. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you have my card now. You know oh, I. yeah,
1: absolutely. And I'll give you the nephew tour. So, maybe that'll be a little Whoa. icing on the cake, right? <laughs> but, again, the, the museum is so well laid out that it just totally uh, – it's laid out chronologically, so it's very easy to peruse through. Uh, you start with the early childhood, actually, and the family – information and photos about Andy Warhol. You get into his commercial career as an artist, and then the early pop works, and then through the 60s, the 70s, and 80s. And then we have a floor dedicated to the archival materials, because Uncle Andy was an avid collector. You know, we talked about him antiquing, but also he would just create these time capsules, where we could go back now and literally see, you know, what was Warhol doing, say, in 1975. By opening a, this time capsule that captures that period, you could see through correspondence, ticket stubs, whatever he felt was pertinent, he would put in a time capsule. But I know you need a break. So. No,
0: I just <laughs> thought that I there was a Michael Jackson exhibition here last year at the National Portrait Gallery, and I mm. believe Nicholas Cullen, the curator and director of the National Portrait Gallery, had an Andy Warhol Michael Jackson time capsule of a glove at one right. of his parties—is that possible? Yes, actually,
1: the way I understand it is that Michael Jackson used that as an invite, so that was the invite to the party that he sent out. So, uh, and, and again, you'll find a lot of that. Uh, it's great when we have performers come through town, especially those who knew Uncle Andy, because we'll bring them into the archive area, or we'll you know prepare for their visit and show them some of the archival materials that related um to them we had the red hot chili peppers come through pittsburgh not long ago and flea and josh their guitarist came through wonderful guys they were just so nice and flea told me some stories about him and um you know visiting uncle andy and having tea uh, with anthony and and himself and and visiting uncle andy and uncle andy's just you know being motivational and saying, you know, just keep working, you know, everything will go well, it'll turn out, just work hard. And, you know, and they were very young at that point, but still, and, and he remembered. So we were able to bring out some materials, some invites that they sent Uncle Andy to their performances. So it was great. It's always great to connect those dots. And again, just another aspect of the Warhol Museum and its, you know, fabulous collection.
0: I'm going to explode. <laughs> I'm here with Donald Warhol and he has a- an Andy Warhol exhibition at the Southbank Centre. It's around the Oxo Tower and it's on until Sunday and it's promoting emerging artists from Pittsburgh. What's incredible about this is it's really in the spirit of shepherding in and mentoring that Andy Warhol was known for. It wasn't interesting for him to be successful in a vacuum. He wanted to bring everyone alongside with him and there's wonderful stories about... Jean-Michel Basquiat crumbling when Andy died because he believed that Andy was his only true friend who would help him evolve as a person and it was shortly after Andy died that Basquiat went into a drug decline and eventually himself passed away right. uh, now and I don't want to focus as much on that, I would like to talk about the foundation because the foundation is incredible and has helped keep the spirit of Andy alive and bring forward a lot of other artists, Donald can you tell me something about it?
1: Sure, actually there's a there's a tie in there because the Andy Warhol Foundation will be publishing a book on Basquiat and the relationship between Warhol, my uncle and Jean-Michel Basquiat. And it's going to just have all these lovely photographs that really, um, and that tie back also, the book will tie back to the diary entries that my uncle had. And it really explores that relationship between Basquiat and um, my uncle, Did Andy you meet Basquiat? I Basket? did not. No. It was interesting. Uncle Andy would, would really compartmentalize you know, his Andy
0: Warhol side and the Uncle Andy side. So, I think basket I think Basket was difficult. And he probably wouldn't have wanted to introduce a young man to I'm guessing perhaps, he was protecting you. Who perhaps, knows?
1: Right. That could be a reason. I think Uncle Andy again, my impression made was that he was taking it very slowly. And again, I was there for four months. So it it was interesting when I did go back to Pittsburgh and I told Uncle Andy I'll come back up at the beginning of the year. And every Sunday dad would my father would call Uncle Andy. They would talk every Sunday. That was the ritual. And uh, for that period when I went back to Pittsburgh, Uncle Andy would question my father. Do you think Donald's coming back? Maybe I didn't pay him enough. Yeah, you know, next week it would be. You know, maybe I didn't take him out enough. Maybe I should have taken him more oh my places. Oh, God, I love
0: that he needed reassurance. Right, exactly. That sensitivity is beautiful. Uh, it? it
1: just shows you know the real kindness. Kindness. But, so yeah, um, but getting back to the foundation, I just I wanted to mention because again, I I think this part of my uncle's legacy doesn't get it. Uh, enough attention. And it's just amazing. Since the, the, the beginning of the foundation, they've given away close to $89 million worth of artwork in different forms. You know, those are paintings, prints, drawings, photography, uh, and it because they're, they're not only a, are they a grant giving Institution, but there are also again they 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 cultivate visual arts through the collections of Andy warhol as well so that kind of that breaks down over fifty two thousand works to over three hundred art museums throughout the world, so you know that is is just astonishing what they what they have done
0: one man 's life exactly one man 's life
1: and through you know through my uncle 's you know idea they're able to accomplish all this. So in addition to grant giving every year where they support so many art organizations and they really like to focus on those art organizations across America that the funding isn't necessarily available. You know, there's obviously the big LA markets and the New York and Chicago and they'll support them as well, but also for the small areas to smaller states Um, where it can
0: make a difference to a dyslexic kid or someone on the
1: margins to have an art program right and and to the edgy art too that that you know so an artist or an art institution may not find it really readily available or the the funding so much because of the content and you know they're very much the warhol foundation is very much against censorship and they want to support all art and allow all of it to evolve. Because, again, remembering that Andy Warhol was very controversial as well. and it Still if, is.
0: Yes, in many ways. Still is. But back to this weekend, sure. because I'm, I'm hoping to get to the Q&A tomorrow with Carrie Scott. Um, can you tell me a little bit about what's going on about that, that talk and about Andy and creativity in Pittsburgh and what we're hoping to sort of discuss in that Q&A? Any
1: topic, you know, relating to my uncle.
0: Yeah. So anything that comes up, and
1: you know, bringing it back to to Pittsburgh and his Pittsburgh roots, as we started, you know, talking here, how that influenced um, Andy Warhol, and you know, again, I I like to to really talk to people about the the human, the person behind the artist, and, that's, and that
0: person had the values of someone from Pittsburgh. Strong work ethic. Pictures for every man, not for the elite. Right. Uh, Faith in God. Mm -hmm. Um, Freedom for everyone.
1: Right. Oh, Oh, yeah.
0: Everyone should
1: have a voice. Everyone should have a place at the table, I believe, is what my uncle believed. And again, when he saw someone that was not, and I believe he referred to it earlier, the Ladies and Gentlemen paintings. These were drag queens that he was commissioned to paint in the early 70s. And the person who commissioned my uncle to do these works actually wanted them to kind of mock them and kind of make fun of them, in my opinion. And Uncle Andy wouldn't do that. Actually, he gave them the same um, techniques and, and care and, and preciseness that he did did with all the icons and celebrities that he did their portraits as well. So to me I can see know, that as a religious tenant. Absolutely. Treating everyone as an equal. And right. that's everyone is gifted. Every you know, again, God doesn't make mistakes. And uh, and I, I believe again that Uncle Andy really, you know, Wanted to create a dialogue that, hey, maybe society tells you that these people are strange or, you know, they're kind of marginalized individuals according to society's definition. But this is how I see them. And now how do you see them? So, again, that was Uncle Andy through and through. The spiritual aspect of it. Absolutely. And just the kindness. But remember as well that growing up, he was a very thin, you know, frail kid who was picked on. uh, Rosacea. Right. Uh, dealt Skin with his problems. own medical issues, and so he knew how it felt to be sort of the outsider or the other. So I believe that all throughout his life, he made it his mission through his art to champion those others out there, those others that felt kind of excluded and really wanted to give them a voice. Can
0: I do a Q and A with you?
1: Absolutely, I love questions. <laughs> do you make art? I do not actually, I wish um, i as I tell people i can 't draw a straight line do you but collect art i I enjoy art we yes i do I do collect some art and i, I really enjoy seeing art and you know the different understanding of the different art movements. I just think it's just amazing and and again, you could look at Andy Warhol as one example because again, all this we 're talking about his art he was also like a historian recording. What was happening in our society at that period, you know, we all know that Warhol really made statements on consumerism, you know, and as part of his pop art, which I think really actually made him very attractive to the, the London art movement, because, you know, the London pop art movement was preceded the American pop Oh, my part, God, yeah. It?
0: Richard Hamilton was nothing. Absolutely. I mean, he was great, but he was nothing compared to Andy Warhol.
1: But still, Fantastic I Fantastic and really
0: complicated. Right. But the, that instant hit, it's not as easy here, or it well, doesn't look as easy.
1: Right. And, and I think that's what, you know, again, you know, people from London were looking and, and seeing Andy Warhol. So, you know, consumerism, for example, may have been, you know, interpreted from artists from here, but then when you see someone from America i.e. Andy Warhol, making statements on consumerism, who's right there in the midst of it, you're, you're paying a particular different type of attention to it.
0: Do you have uh, an Andy Warhol?
1: Actually, yes. I uh, My uncle was very gracious uh, when I was a senior in high school. I thought, gee, Uncle Andy's an artist, and I should probably get my portrait done, because I don't know when I'll ever have the opportunity to have my portrait painted by a real artist, and, I'm about to explode again. <laughs> right. So I asked Uncle Andy, and of course he was very gracious and said, "Yeah, of course. So I sent him my yearbook photo, and he made a, two beautiful portraits. Very much actually when you when had mentioned that um, photo booth strip.
0: The so, Holly Solomon one from
1: Marlborough Gallery. Right. If anyone right. wants
0: to see it, it's on right now, her
1: collection. Okay. Yeah. But that, oh, yeah. that was a technique that early on Uncle Andy would use to do portraits. Go on. And he was influenced. Actually, my father, back in the 1940s, had a photo booth machine. And so he would put it like in an arcade and then make money off of it. And I have this just beautiful strip of um, shots of my uncle when he was in college. And you could see that he's just like kind of looking around. And each shot shows him with a different perspective and, and I could see the wheels turning like wow I could really use this in my arts and how can I use this because again he loved technology he loved to embrace technology and further it in any way that he could through, or further his art I should say through technology so
0: Do you still live in
1: Pittsburgh? Yes I do
0: Will you come back if you're in London again and talk Absolutely. to us some more? Absolutely You've been listening to A Private View with me Maeve Doyle Thank you for listening. See you next time. Bye for now.